The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Now and then, here and there, and always at sexpotcomedy.com. Next storyteller. Our next storyteller. Next storyteller. Our next storyteller. Welcome to the Narrators Podcast. This podcast collects stories that were told at the Narrators, a monthly storytelling event that features people telling true stories based on a theme. The show takes place on the third Wednesday of every month at the Buntport Theater in Denver, Colorado. Hey there, it's Ron Doyle. You know, the last couple of months have been really big for the narrators, and I just wanted to say thanks to all of you, our loyal podcast listeners, especially those of you who don't live in Denver, San Diego, and have endured our constant plugs for shows you can't attend. If you are one of those folks out there who listens to this podcast but has never seen the live show, we want to know you. Please come say hello on Facebook, Twitter, or shoot us a message at thenarrators.org. I also want to say thanks to all of you who do come to the monthly events and show your support by throwing cash in the donation jar. Your generosity in Denver has allowed us to start paying our performers, which is huge. If you're looking for other ways to help this show and what we do, please support our sponsors and tell them that we sent you. Also, please consider giving this podcast a rating on iTunes. It takes less than a minute, and it really does make a huge difference in the world of podcasting. Our next live events will be on October 13th in San Diego and October 21st in Denver theme will be creeps san diego show may still be looking for a few more storytellers so please email robert and mary if you're interested you can send them a message via our facebook page or email them at san diego at the narrators.org okay today's podcast is dedicated to all of you out there in podcast land who have never attended a live show before our august event was so fantastic that we're playing it here for you in its entirety raw and mostly uncut This is as close to the real thing as you can get. You're going to hear stories from Aaron Rollman, Dan St. Germain, Christy Bukley, Bob Meadows, Haley Driscoll, Timmy Lasley, Sam Talent, Janae Burris, Kristen Rand, and Josh Blue. These stories were recorded live on August 19th, 2015 at Bumport Theater as part of an all-comedian special in honor of High Plains Comedy Festival. The theme of the evening was crushed. True stories from comedians. I can only imagine this is going to be one of the more depressing evenings that we've all spent together. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, So, yeah, I'm Aaron Rollman. You're at Narrators. You are in Buntport Theater. It doesn't usually look like this. I wish that I could tell you that um, at some point in the future, you would find out what the fuck this stuff is. But you won't. Like, there's no reason that this is here. You'll never find any, like, there will never be anything that you're like, oh, that was the thing that was up. Nope. It's just the next time you're here, it will look different. So, mystery. That's how it is. Uh, We have a a lot of really amazing comedians on the show tonight, so I'm not going to talk for too long. I'm just going to kick you off with a little story of my own on the theme. 
So I've had a lot of adversity in my life, which I'm shaking my head because I've had none. Um, but there are some horrors that you like never forget, you know. And um, when I was a kid, I had a blanket. A lot of people did. It's just that I had mine too long, technically. Like I was too old. For a long time, I had a blanket. Um, it was more of just like a scrap of a blanket at a certain point. But I found comfort in it, as kids do, because kids are super dumb. Um, at the same time that I was still using this like scrap of fabric for comfort, I was also in the business of trying to seem older than I was, uh, but in the dumbest ways, because I was a kid and kids are dumb. Um, the primary way that I pretended to be older was in the car. Uh, where when I was uh, in the back seat next to my brother, who is older than me, I would like prop myself up higher because height equals age. That's like the way that you can tell how old someone is, is how tall they are seated in a sitting position. So I would like prop myself up higher than my older brother. And then without him knowing, like he'd be reading a book or something, I would like fake mature talk at him. So I would, I would like <laughs> at him. Which is like, obviously, I'm super mature. I'm saying something really important to him. Um, so I did it because I wanted all the passers-by in other cars <laughs> to like look over into our car and take a super vested interest in what was happening in our car and think, oh, what a sophisticated young woman who is saying real words to her obviously younger brother. Um, just like we all do, you know. And uh, at any rate, while I was deeply mired in this desire to be perceived by strangers on the highway as not a child, I had my blanket scrap still. Um, and so, medium story short, we were out of town and my parents were visiting some person or other in the hospital. That's the tragedy of someone in the hospital is not the point of the story. The story is about my tragedy, so fuck you, whoever was in the hospital. Um, but suffice it to say that I accidentally left my blanket scrap in the, in the waiting room. And I don't know when I, I discovered it in the car that it was missing. And I don't know if it was five minutes. So if it was like within time to go back and get it, or if it was an hour later, I'm not really sure. Either way, my parents definitely said, oh, we, oh no, we can't go back. It's been, oh, it's too long. There we go. Because I'm sure they were relieved to have an excuse for me not to have my fucking blankie anymore. So obviously they're terrible people, but that's not even the worst thing that they did to me. The worst thing that they did to me happened a few years earlier, so you'd think I would have been on to them by this point. And you're like, well, what could possibly be worse than deliberate, like helping to lose your blankie that you had since you were a, ba a baby? And I'll tell you what's worse. When Chariots of Fire came out in the movie theaters, they wanted to go because slow British sports tragedy drama movies are like their jam or something. And they had, at the time, two kids, my brother, age eight, me, age six, and probably no babysitter money because we didn't have money when I was a kid. And it, but, but here's the thing, it was 1981, so kids probably got into movies for free as long as they arrived in a car without seatbelts or something, because <laughs> that was like how we rolled in 1981. But so they brought us, they brought my brother and I to Chariots of Fire, which if you don't know what that movie is, it's a movie where British people say like, three things to each other, and then they run in slow motion on a beach for two and a half hours. That's all that happens in the whole movie. And to make up for bringing me a kid to a movie that's clearly inappropriate for a kid to go to, um, they bought me a king-size Kit Kat, which is like 
seriously the most extravagant gift that they had ever bought me up to that point. Like, king size. A king size Kit Kat, if you don't know, is the size of two regular fucking Kit Kats put together. Like, that's incredible. So I ate half of it. I ate one, the equivalent of a Kit Kat bar. And then I set the other half next to me for later, because I was a child who understood the rewards that could be reaped from (laughs) self-control. And then I fell asleep because I was at Chariots of Fire and I was six. And when the movie was over, my parents carried me out, leaving my Kit Kat bar in the movie theater. Oh yeah, it's the blanket maneuver. Yeah, but with chocolate. So like, what the fuck is wrong with them? So adversity, right? Super crushed. Actually still trying to deal with it. Still not over it. I'm 40 and on a a horrifyingly regular basis, I talk about this happening. (laughs) Like essentially I'm telling you that I'm 40 and clearly I am still not as mature as I wished I had looked when I was in the car as a kid being a dumb fucking kid. So a hard life I have led up to this point. Um, everybody, it's a super fun show and there's so many people on it that we have to keep it moving because that's how we have to do it. Um, the first up, we're starting off with a bang. This is super fun. Um, the, this first comedian has a half hour special on Comedy Central and has made like a slew of appearances on television, including Conan, uh, is in town for the High Plains Comedy Festival. Please welcome to the stage, Dan St. Germain, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, how's everyone doing? I love Denver. I love it. How are you? Come on in. I love this town, and this is the first time I've been back here since weed's legal, and uh, let me tell you, it's gone to hell. Uh, It is... Seems Every girl here is my type. That's how much I love Denver. Like, every girl here looks like they helped Jim Morrison discover photography or some shit. Uh... Uh, so, a uh, funny story. I forgot this was a storytelling show. Uh, so, I want to do the best I can with what I have. Uh, I, uh, I went on a, a date a couple months ago. Uh, it, was, uh, it was a really good date. I drove this girl back to her apartment. I drove her to the garage under her apartment. We started making out of my car like it was a fucking Bruno Mars music video. And she was like a 10. And I'm like a 9, you know? So, uh... Fuck you. Uh, I'm like a young Gerard Depardieu with Harry and the Henderson's fur. Uh, also, I'm really glad that I wore this tonight. This is just like, like let me tell you about 9-11 outfit. Uh, it wasn't real. Uh, anyway, uh, I, mean, I have been able to uh, hook up with girls who are way more attractive to me, but every single girl has the same backstory. They just got done dating some lacrosse player. And they're like, you know, I don't need some guy with perfect teeth and piercing eyes and abs. I don't need abs. And then they fuck me and they're like, oh, wait, I needed abs. It's like the end of an M. Night Shyamalan movie. It was abs the whole time. I didn't realize it. Now I'm stuck with some dude who looks like the dog from a never-ending story. Uh, so I... Uh, I get a I, I get a call uh, from uh, this girl the next day. Whenever I get a call 
from a girl I like. I sound like the end of every Paul Giamatti movie. I'm like, please, don't hang up. Let me smell your voice, you know. Uh, and uh, she's uh, like, hey, I had a good time. And I'm like, oh, my God, I had a good time, too. She's like, yeah, I just got a question, though. Uh, after I went upstairs and uh, you were downstairs uh, in the gr- um, did you get scared and take a shit in my garage? <laughs> Apparently later in the night, someone had taken a shit in a garage. And when it comes to garage shitting, I'm like a black guy in a hoodie in Florida. Guilty without trial, you know? <laughs> so, I, it's Florida's problem. That's not mine. Get over it. Uh, I, so I told her, I'm like, no, I didn't shit in your garage. Let me tell you something, fellas. Uh, if you tell a woman, no, I didn't shit in your garage, you are not going to fuck her. Not in the history of fucking has there ever been. How did I meet your grandfather? Well, at first I thought he shat in my garage. That's not going to... And also, did you get scared and take a shit in my garage? Is that what she thinks I do when I get scared? Or I'm like, great makeup. But now I'm down here alone. Oh, it's happening again. So, um, this is okay. This is leanable. Uh, this story does not end there. Uh, about a month later, I uh, got uh, cast in the sketch show. I was in a sketch show with one of my childhood heroes, Roddy, Roddy Piper. Uh, rest his soul. It was fucking, it was awesome. There we go. Yeah, do that. That helps something. Uh, just joking. It's fine. Uh, but it was cool. I was really excited to act with him. Uh, and whenever, like, uh, I, 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 whenever I get, like, really nervous, I'm, like, an emotion. I don't drink or do drugs anymore, so I'm an emotional eater, which there's no other, like, life function that has an adjective in front of it. You know, there's no angry breathers, you know, where they're like, gotta get all the CO2 out. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, so I, for lunch, uh, they had salad, and then they had Popeye's chicken. So I ate the salad. It's not true. Uh, I ate the, of course, of course, I ate the Popeye's chicken. I ate a lot of it. I ate like six pieces of Popeye's chicken. And uh, in the sketch, uh, this other wrestler uh, is going to put a finishing move on me, and I can't get it right. Like each time the guy puts it in, it's a guy named Mr. Kennedy. I just do it wrong. He, and in the meanwhile, like Roddy is like the greatest, but I guess like he had been hit, he he he'd been in a lot. He's been through a lot, you know. He's gotten hit in the head with a chair a lot, so he starts heckling my acting. Uh, but it's not even heckles that make sense. He's just like, ha, this kid's got no ass, which I don't even know what that fucking means. That's like something they, like Elizabeth Berkeley hears when she auditions for showgirls, you know? Uh, so anyway, this is like the fourth time the guy that somebody said offer that and not the dead wrestler. Uh, so anyway, they put me, uh, in this guy puts me in a finishing move and, uh, I hit the mat and I, uh, I shit my pants uh, in front of everybody, and I have to leave set to clean myself up for 20 minutes. Uh, yeah, this is, I guess this is a sad story. I didn't realize that <laughs> until it got really silent in here. <laughs> Fucking Christ. And it's like the like everyone everyone's there like everybody knew that I shit my I, I don't know if you've ever walked into the room and everyone doesn't make eye contact not just one like it's like the parting of the Red Sea of eye contact that's what happened they all like woo uh, so anyway I did it uh, I did that it was a miserable day next day I'm feeling lonely uh, this girl hasn't been responding to me I'm like you know what fuck it I'm gonna call 
This never works. Nobody picks up their fucking phone anymore. But I'm like, I'm going to fucking old school 90s this shit. <laughs> fucking say anything it. Let's fucking do this shit. Peter Gabriel in the background. You're falling in love with me. Uh, I call her up. She actually picks up. And I'm like, uh, hey, what's going on? Uh, and she's like, oh, hi. Hey, wh- what's up? And I was like, oh, you know, just, uh, you know, doing stand up and, you know, you know, just killing it. Uh, and she's like, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, actually, you know, what's funny. I, you were in a sketch with my best friend <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> totally true. Uh, and uh, I was like, maybe she didn't tell her. Like, fu- like, how did she not tell her at that yeah, I met that guy you went out with. Uh, no, nothing weird happened at all. <laughs> it was fine. He was really nice. Uh, uh, so then, like, uh, I, there's like a pause, and I'm like, "So you want to hang out again sometime?" She's like, "Well, I've been really busy lately." And I just I'm like, "I didn't shit myself." <laughs> and then she hung up, and I haven't talked to her again. So that was the end of that story. Just one, one gigantic Leonard Cohen song of a story. With Benny Hill music playing in the background of a song. That didn't make sense. I did two song references at the same time. Um, what's going on? I just, I'm noticing this fucking Lamaze pose that you're in right now. And uh, I'm trying to deal with it. I'm dealing with it. But uh, also you're like put together, which is like if I, if I was, we, we, we should switch. We should have a Freaky Friday right now. Uh, I, uh, I've done a lot of really bad gigs. Uh, hey, well, let me tell you this story. Uh, this is the story of uh, a guy who forgot he was doing a storytelling show and is going to try to make all his bits and his stories on the spot. Uh, and now he's going to do those bits. Uh, and then, anyway, I, I've done a lot. The worst gig I've ever done was in Fort Lauderdale, uh, Hard Rock cafe and casino i believe lauderdale is spanish for pregnant woman that still smokes uh so that was rough think about a hard rock in fort lauderdale a hard rock in like new york and london it's all the cool shit you know it's like here's the guitar Jimi hendrix set on fire here's the microphone that janice joplin held but in fort lauderdale it's like here's the napkin fred durst wrote the lyrics to nookie on and Here's the crock pot, Courtney Love first piston, and here's puddle of mud. Not not memorabilia, we just have them. So uh uh so the next day I wake up real or also on this trip a guy with a face tattoo spat on my car, which is like that's like and when a guy with a face tattoo spits on your car, well I mean that's just something he gets to do, you know? Normal person spits on your car. You're like, what the fuck, dude? Guy with a face tattoo spits on your car. You're like, thank you so much for not shooting me. I really appreciate it. <laughs> anyway, I go, um, I go downstairs, and uh, it's the next morning. It's really early. It's about like 5.30, so everybody there is either like hungover. They got to catch a plane. I had to catch a plane. And right next to the sausage patties, I swear to God, is a breakfast DJ. I swear to God. That's up there with a Planned Parenthood ska band in terms of things... You never want to see in your entire... 
and he's working at like it's Studio 54, and everybody else is hungover and miserable. He's like, hey, a uh, guy who works at E-Trade in the back who had sex with a Southwest flight attendant the night before and now has to return home to Cincinnati and wear a mask in front of his wife and kids so they don't see him for the monster he truly is. You know what you need? A little Mambo number five! Do you light people for this? Yeah, you want to light? You, you're good. Oh, am I? You How got, long do I have? You got a minute left. Fuck. What, what story <laughs> am I going to tell? You can just wrap up. You can just In a minute. What if I told the most dramatic one and, and then, like, so I saw my friend die when I was 12. All right, guys, have a good night. And I just, <laughs> I just end you on that. Say. No, it's fine. I'll fucking think of something. And it was like two stories. That was something, you know? We're, we're not, we're not, we're comedians. We're trained to be shallow. You know what I mean? It's, all right, well, that's. I'm not going to have a breakdown now with like 30 seconds left in the fucking set, assholes. Shut up! You fucking liberal arts motherfuckers. Stick that copy of The Awakening straight up your ass, all right? That's an awakening for you. What? Don't spoil it? That's the end? Yeah, the end of it. She just sticks the book that's about her upper butt. It's weird. Uh, it's a weird ending. Well, I don't know. Uh, that's always good when, you, uh, when you're on stage and you go, well, I don't know. That <laughs> usually means you're about to kill it with something. <laughs> Fuck, I got like a, what story can I tell in a minute? Uh, God damn it. <sighs> All right, well, this happened. Uh, I, 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 guys, anyone here ever send a dick pic and get no response? That's like a terrifying moment. I... <laughs> sent this girl a dick pic and I got no response and I'm like uh oh now this is just a sex crime uh, so about an hour later I texted ha 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 totally JKing which wouldn't hold up in court you know like Jared, Jared Fogle can't be like I wasn't molesting him I was just uh, horsing around you know uh, topical and didn't have a punchline uh, anyway next day I, uh, I, get a, I get a text from her that just says, sorry, fell asleep, which is even worse because like, that means my dick was her Tylenol PM, you know? I can't, I, it doesn't matter. I can't dirty talk anymore. I'm just too pumped to be having sex whenever I'm, and girls like talk dirty to me and I'm like, I am so appreciative of this. Like, not only am I going to make you come, I'm going to help you move on Saturday. Uh, guys. We got more great show coming up. Jamiroquai is going to be here. Have a good one. Thank you. Dan St. Germain, everyone. Yay. I so can't wait to turn over in the middle of the night to my partner and whisper, it was the abs the whole time. And they like le they leave they leave clearly. Um, I'm trying to do I I you know Ron you gave me trouble for this on the internet today and I saw it where you're like Aaron hugs comedians instead of shaking their hands like a professional. I like it. Yeah, I'm gonna remember. I've got all comedians on the show. They do this thing. It's very professional. They do not hug, and I'm keeping it in mind until someone tells something sad and is crying, and I give them a hug afterwards. Um, uh, everybody, please welcome to the stage our next comedian. Uh, she is one of the hosts of the Empty Girlfriend podcast and is doing several things for High Plains Comedy Festival, including uh, she'll be on Poop Talk Live, podcasting live about poop. Yep. Like we do. 
Welcome to the stage, Christy Bukley, everyone. Hello. Hi. That's just great. I'm glad to follow the guy with the half hour special. That's good. I'm glad. I'm sure that this after this storytelling sesh, this will be my new crushed story. Cool. Um, so this, uh, this is a story. This is an evil stepmom story. People have those. It's a real thing. Uh, and it's also a story about um, people who taught me how to crush at life. So uh, that's what this will be about. Uh, my dad met my stepmom almost immediately when he br uh, broke up with my mom. When, they, when I was maybe four, um, he, got, he started dating. Uh, Victoria was her name. And uh, my mom found letters between them and uh, gave him a right hook while he was in the shower and dislocated his jaw. Um, not important to the story, just like probably the only gangsta shit my mom like ever did. So <laughs> I wanted to give her a little credit. Um, but at that point, uh, my dad uh, decided to go with this woman, Victoria, and because of his crippling fear of being alone, that this was the next 10 years of our life. So uh, when it comes to like people who crush other people for fun uh <laughs> it's like it's pretty simple it's pretty systematic from what i see it starts out small um and with my stepmom you know it'd be like there you can never you never appreciated it enough you never said thank you enough you never cleaned your room enough these are all very minor um things but that's where it starts when you're four and five and somebody's like grooming you to be a, a small person, like emotionally small <laughs> and sad. That's what it does. Um, and I, so I met Victoria when I was four or five. I really don't really remember a time before her. Um, and I have another step-parent. I don't think I'll, this isn't me being crazy completely. Like, I have another stepdad. He, like, he's pretty cool. Like, I understand that step-parents aren't inherently evil. just want to make that uh, clear. So, um, I uh, moved in with my dad when I was uh, 10 or 11 years old. Um, and at this time, Victoria seemed cool because you only saw her on the weekends and like she could put on a pretty good, like fun face for the weekend. Let's get pizza. And uh, so that was great um, for a while. And then um, as, it, as time went on, I realized she couldn't have kids of her own and she didn't like me because I was not her kid. And she also had very uh, emotionally abusive parents that made her into a, a not great person to be around children. Um, and I found myself apologizing for everything and spending every day anticipating what I did wrong and um, going into a person who gets told every day that they're not a good person. Um, they shouldn't um, ever have kids because they will ruin them uh, in that you basically like are, I can't believe people love you. That's a thing. Those are the things that um, people, uh, emotionally abusive people do. That's just how it goes. So when I was uh, 10 or 11, 12, 
not, uh, I, I lived in a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety all the time. Even now when I have an anxiety attack, I'm like, my stepmom's coming home and I just, like can't get away from it. And so um, it, it, it's even taken a long time to get away now um, from that feeling. Um, but at this time, uh, when I was 11 or 12, uh, because Victoria couldn't have her own kids, she decided it would be a great idea for them to start fostering kids um, in our home. And uh, this is the best, absolute best time in your life when you're a 10 and 11-year-old girl to introduce 16 and 17-year-old juvenile delinquent boys into your home as your role models. It's a really good time to do that. So I learned a lot of great things from them, you know, like what incense cover the smell of pot the best, how to sneak out of the house, how to... Uh, what meth looks like. That's an important one I found out. Uh, <laughs> how long does rehab take? You know, how do we siphon the booze so Todd and Victoria won't know? I learned a lot of really good things. You know, when you're a young white girl, you can steal almost anything and nobody will pay attention. I learned that um, from them. Lots of really good things. Mostly I learned that there is a Tupac song for every emotion. There is literally <laughs> a Tupac song for every emotion that you could have, every situation. Um, and that's what I've <laughs> I learned uh, from them. Uh, because um, it's hard to have foster kids and also because uh, nobody could really ever make Victoria happy, kids were in and out of our home a lot. Um, but I had the last foster brother that I had, his name was Carl, and he ended up living with us for two years. Um, and he became, became like a real brother to me. Um, we were actually like, planning to adopt him. He was 17, but, um, you know, wanted to ha have him have a legal guardian and family for real. Um, and then um, as it got closer, Victoria got um, insane, as she does, and started thinking of ways, reasons he needed to leave, reasons he was fucking up, things like that. Um, and by this time, I'd also spent a lot of time um, apologizing to my stepmom, asking her not to leave my dad, and she would say, it's your, it's your fault I'm leaving because you're not a good person. I know now that this is like all projection of her fucking brain crazy person, but when you're 10 and 11 and that has been happening since you're four or five, I honestly didn't know, I, like, I thought it was me. I didn't realize that adults could be wrong uh, at things like this. Um, so I could I, I was a pretty crushed uh, little person, didn't really understand that I'm not doing everything wrong all the time. And then one time, I don't even know what happened, um, but Carl uh, saved my life in one conversation, really. Um, we were both getting yelled at one day for something. Um, Victoria was threatening to leave and saying, you know, it's our fault and blah 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 and he said do you want to get out of here and he grabbed a carton of Newports the cheapest cigarette also learned that uh, and <laughs> and uh, so let's go and we um, we lived in the mountains at the time and we went um, you know on a walk for like five or six hours just left the house and he told me this isn't right people don't get to treat you this way you know and I'd realized that these I had seen so many people come and go out of my home, and they were the most, the people who should have been the most crushed. They didn't have parents. 
They didn't have anything. A lot of times they came with trash bags and they didn't know where they were going next and they didn't trust anybody. And he taught me that day that you can't control a lot, especially as a kid. I never, I'll never control what my parents do and how they handle situations and who they choose to love. But the one thing you can control in all your life is how you treat other people and how you allow other people to treat you. And he told me for the first time in my life, it's not okay to let somebody talk to you that way. And I hadn't realized that in my entire life. I, I thought it was me uh, the whole time. So I went home um, eventually, and Victoria had a bag packed like she does, the threatening uh, things she did to make you feel bad, to like make you feel like you're ruining everything. Um, and my dad was working nice. He called me on the phone and said, she's leaving because of you. You need to go apologize to her. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that for the first time uh, in my life. And she left for a day or two. Then she came back. Um, and uh, I realized that it wasn't my fault. And it wasn't, it was, it was all her being uh, crazy. Uh, and it wasn't me. I wasn't the worst thing that's ever happened to anyone. So uh, um, that was really important. Eventually, Carl did run away. We never adopted him, unfortunately. Um, and I felt cr that is probably the worst I ever felt at that time. I was crushed. I felt like my partner in crime had left. I felt like I was stuck in this house with this horrible person for uh, the rest of my life, and I was alone. Um, but I never did apologize to her again. And it took about four more years until she left. I was a uh, freshman in high school. Um, my dad had finally figured it out. Um, and I, I never really apologized ever again. And I was uh, lucky to uh, stand up for myself one last time. When she went to believe, she said, I'm, looks like we got what you wanted. And I said, uh, enjoy packing your bags, bitch. And that's the last thing I ever said to her. And it felt so good. Uh, and that was for everybody who taught me, like, uh, people will try to crush you, but uh, you get to choose whether or not they get to. So that is my story, guys. Thank you so much. Christy Buckley, ladies and gentlemen. And that is a perfect example of why I love this show, because those two storytellers can go back to back and tell those different kinds of stories, and that is amazing. And I love the narrators. I'm allowed to say that because I didn't invent it or anything. I'm just up here. But it was, a, it was a beautiful story about overcoming adversity, but I don't want you to forget about the Kit Kat thing. Because it was like the size of a whole fucking Kit Kat bar that was left in the movie theater, so, I don't know. When you're weighing things out at the end of the evening, you can see what you think of that. Um, let me bring up another comedian to the stage. Uh, growing up on a ranch and a Catholic school education, never prepared Bob for the intricacies of his first crush. Please welcome to the stage, Bob Meadows, ladies and gentlemen. This is the story of my first crush. 
But before I can tell you that story, I have to give you a little background, a little preamble, a little foreplay, if you will. <laughs> I grew up out in the country, way out in the country. We didn't really have any neighbors, certainly none that were my age. So all of my social interaction came at school, and I went to a Catholic school. I went to Shrine of St. Anne's. They've all got names like that, don't they? Shrine of St. Anne's, Sacred Heart, Our Lady of the Justifiable Homicide. (laughs) And they all have pretty much the same theme, indoctrination. We had two hours of religion class every single day at school. But the nuns did not believe we were getting enough religion in our life. So they would weave it into every other class that we attended. When we went to geography class, we would learn about the Holy Land. When we went to music class, we would sing hymns. When we went to science class, well, there was no science class. It was a Catholic school. (laughs) You get the idea. (laughs) Even math class, they'd work it in. While you guys were doing story problems, we were doing parable problems. If Jesus had five loaves and two fishes and had to feed 5,000 people, by what factor did he have to multiply the loaves and the fishes to feed the multitude? And we always had to show both our math and our theology. Something else about St. Anne's, they didn't teach sex education. They felt it was a topic better covered at home which was a problem, because that meant what I was going to learn about sex education was going to come from my dad. And my dad was equally uncomfortable talking to me about sex as I was about hearing about sex from my dad. (laughs) So the extent of my sex education boiled down to one sentence. If you get a girl pregnant, you got to marry her. That was it. That's not enough information for a teenage boy. (laughs) Because in my testosterone-steep state, how I interpreted that was this. If I'm ever lucky enough to have sex with a girl, I better hope I get her pregnant, because then I'll have to marry her, and then I can have all the sex I want. (laughs) Wasn't until years later I discovered the flaw in this theory. But as uneducated as I was when it came to sexual intercourse, it turns out I was even less educated when it came to social intercourse. I simply didn't know how to talk to girls. See, while all my friends who lived in the city spent their weekends in 7th and 8th grade getting together as boys and girls and learning how to interact, learning how to make conversation, learning how to French kiss without giggling learning the working parameters of a training bra. (laughs) I never had that experience to draw from. So I was kind of on my own there trying to figure things out. And the problem was, when I got paroled from St. Anne's, after six years of being there, after being on every sports team that they offered, after being class president of student council, after being able to name virtually every student in that school of 300, I was going to a junior high school of 900 where I knew three people. That is culture shock right there. And I knew that if I had been unable to talk to the girls that I had grown up with and been with for six years, 
I was unlikely to become more able all of a sudden with the 900 I did not know. It seemed to me that the simplest course of action might be simply to join a seminary and embrace the vows of silence and chastity and thus remove myself from any chance of rejection. And I might have gone that path, except for one person, Barb Espinosa. My first crush, Barb Espinosa, the dark-skinned beauty with ebony hair that framed her perfectly complected face. Barb Espinosa, with the deep, dark eyes that were so wonderful they generated their own gravitational pull that would most certainly suck the soul from my body if I was ever foolish enough to stare into them for more than a moment. Barb Espinosa my first crush. But how was I to approach this paragon of pulchritude? Seemed unfair that before me was offered this gift, this one thing that I wanted more than anything in life, and this one thing that I would most certainly be denied simply because of my social awkwardness. But so strong was the attraction. One day, I mustered up my courage, and I walked up to her. And I asked her if she would deign to spend an evening with me of putt-putt golf and cheeseburgers and whatever else the night might bring. I was all in. And as I melted into her eyes and daydreamed about those lips and allowed my imagination to soar to heights that it had never before achieved, just as quickly it all came crashing to the ground when she politely but firmly rebuffed my advances. My crush had crushed me. And it hurt. And it hurt for days. And it hurt for days that felt like weeks, that felt like months, that felt like years. But I came out of it stronger. And I came out of it more fearful, less fearful of trying than I was of failing to try. So once again, I screwed up my courage and I tried again. Once again, I was refused. And once again, I screwed up my courage, and once again, I was refused. Three times, I offered Barb Espinosa my heart, and three times, she refused. And three times, I was devastated. And three times, I rose from the ashes. And in thinking back on it, I realized that I would not trade those experiences for anything. Because I came out of it learning a couple of things. One thing, no matter how frightening something might seem, it is very likely less daunting in real life than it is in your own imagination. I also learned that no matter how devastating rejection and a failure can be, it can callous you and prepare you for future fractuosities. And I also learned that teenage girls spend a whole lot of time washing their hair. Thank you. Yes, keep it going, keep it going. Bob Meadows. I want to take a quick second to tell you about the places that sponsor us so that you can support them because they support us. So Sexpot Comedy, uh, From the Hip Photography, Breckenridge Brewery, and Illegal Pete's. 
give all of those people business, all of those organizations business, because they're awesome. And if you uh, get a hankering to hear some storytelling while you're sitting around at home, uh, our podcast is available on thenarrators.org, so check that out. Um, you should be listening to that podcast. Uh, another podcast you should be listening to is Empty Girlfriend, and I have another one of the hosts of Empty Girlfriend coming up next. Uh, Haley Driscoll is an alarmingly adorable comedian. I think she wrote this herself. Um, <laughs> like, I just got sent this copy, you know? Haley Driscoll is an alarmingly adorable comedian and improviser, originally from Denver, Colorado, but recently located to Los Angeles, California. Please welcome to the stage, Haley Driscoll. <laughs> Hi. I told you. <laughs> All right, so before I start my story, I would like to preface it by saying, Mom and Dad, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What? You don't even know what I did. Why are you lighting your face up with your iPhone so you could see... Your disappointed faces. I'm sorry. It, it happened once and it's not going to happen again. I'm not a bad person. <sighs> now you're making me all nervous. <laughs> okay, here we go. So, um, I moved to Los Angeles about four months ago. And before then, I worked in a horrible, horrible, horrible devastatingly sad, soul-sucking call center. <laughs> no, it's hard to imagine. These dimples surviving, that sort of thing. <laughs> Made it through, deeper, <laughs> deeper than they were before. <laughs> um, but it, it, was, it was terrible, it was very sad. I uh, actually worked with my dear friend, uh, Kirsty Buckley, saw her up here. Um, and every day was, you know, it was, it was kind of a struggle. But this day it was a particularly, really hard day. That's how hard it was. Um, that morning I came in, and my manager Ashamamamama for <laughs> secret reasons, don't go to her house. Her name was Ashley. Don't go to her house. But uh, she came up to me and she tapped on my desk. She's like, hey, hi, hi. Can I see you just for a second, just for half a second? Just need to tell you a little something. And so I got out of my cubicle and we went into her office and she sat me down and she just said, I feel like you don't want to be here anymore. And I just replied, ah. <laughs> Why, what, what, what are you talking about? Of course I want to <laughs> And she was just like, I just get this feeling that you come in here dragging your feet and I don't see that uh, beautiful sunshiny smile that I uh, saw when I first met you. And um, I'm, I told her, I'm like, okay, if this is a safe space, um, this job's just, it's a little hard for me. 
you know, sitting in a, a cubicle uh, for 40 hours a week and calling people who want me to die when I <laughs> when they pick up the phone. It's a little hard. This is a safe place. <laughs> and she said, oh, what? What? What is the worst thing that could happen? They could hang up on you. And I was like, yeah, but they want, they want me to die when they hang up on me. <laughs> I wish I was dead. <laughs> so she, um, she told me that I started, I needed to start doing this thing where I act happy when I'm sad. And I was like, been doing it. <laughs> Well, I got a theater degree. Um, so I walked out there. I was all huffing and puffing, and we went to our little 15-minute breaks, clocked out. And I, uh, I went outside. I was pretty upset. And then my, uh, my pal came up to me, and he's like, Hey, you want a little something to take the edge off? I do it all the time. I was like, yeah, is this safe? <laughs> Is this a safe place? <laughs> Don't know who to trust anymore. And then he pulled out uh, a chocolate bar. And I was like, oh, yeah, I love chocolate bars. But then he was like... Here, have fun. And I was like, Okay. I love chocolate. <laughs> a cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. And so I was sitting at my desk, and I just had a few pieces at the edge of my desk. And um, I popped one in, just a little piece, and I was like, mm, this is a strong chocolate bar. And then, slowly, I noticed I wasn't doing anything on my computer. I was just holding the mouse... <laughs> And thinking about my database and all the different people that I had talked to earlier in the week, and what I was going to do later in the week, and then all of a sudden I was like, oh, f- shoot! I'm really high right now. And then, of course, my manager comes over and she's like, hey, how's it going since we had that little talk? You okay? seem a little off. I'm like, I'm fine. Everything's fine. And then she went to go grab a little piece of chocolate and I slammed down my hand and I said, no! I put it all in my mouth! It's already been in my mouth! And then I put the rest in my mouth. Oh, you can't have any more. A poo for and I had three more hours of work left to do. Um, I don't know if you've seen the movie The Matrix, but that scene where he gets a mysterious phone placed into his cubicle, and then he has to go run <laughs> out of the building, that's what I felt like going to the bathroom and back. <laughs> I was just going, where do I go now? I just kept going back and forth to see my eyes to see if anybody could really see if I was super high. And then I was in the bathroom and my manager's feet came over and she came into the stall right next to me. She let out the loudest fart. (laughs) And first, 
I got really scared by it, so I gasped. <gasps> and then I started laughing because I gasped at my manager farting really loud. And then I just had to go. I just had to open the stall and go before she could see it was my shoes. And then I went down to my desk and my manager came over. Now, sure, she knew. <laughs> so I picked up the phone. I'm like, I gotta be making these calls. I gotta be making these calls. And I started dialing the people who don't usually answer, but of course they answered this time. And the guy was the easiest sale I've ever had in my life. I guess he was just waiting for some stony baloney to call him and be like, I trust you. This is a safe place. <laughs> and I made the sale. And then after that, I saw all the managers get up and go talk to one another. And they were all talking to one another, whispering really loud and really evil sounding to me in my head. And then they had everybody get up and go into the middle of the office. And then my manager tapped me on the back and had me stand in the middle of the circle. And she was like, okay, you guys. Haley had a little attitude adjustment and she made a sale. Now you all can go home. And then everybody cheered. <laughs> and they applauded and started grabbing their bags. And I just stood there. <laughs> just kind of waiting to wake up. And then I took the metro and went to bed because I was super stoned accidentally. <laughs> so that's my story about crushing the day. So thank you guys so much. Have a great night. You make that job sound so terrible, and then we find out at the end that if one person makes a sale, everyone goes home. It's like, Jesus, what were you doing wrong every other day? Like, everyone else working there. Like, what the fuck was happening? That's crazy. I'm going to come into work tomorrow and suggest that that be our new thing. Like, one person has a small success today. We all go home. They'll go for it. I work with people that don't care either, so... Okay, up next, uh, this next comedian, comedian, I can say all the words, is the host of Epilogue Comedy, which happens on the last Saturday of every month at uh, Mutiny Information Cafe, I think at 10, if I'm not incorrect, and it's also hosting uh, the Moth uh, Story Slam on August 28th. Please welcome to the stage, Timmy Lastly, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Hello. Uh, normally I write out my narrators very thoughtfully and type it out in 14-point font and double-space it. And uh, I'm, I'm just doing notes tonight, so we'll see how this goes. Thank you. Thank you for that supportive woo. Um, this piece is titled, That Time in Third Grade When I Crushed My Mother's Spirit. Uh-oh. Um, my mother's never been a beautiful woman. <laughs> when she was two years old, she was caught in a house fire. Uh, and so she's got scar tissue on her forearms and on her chin. 
And as a result, that's how she grew up. And as a result, I feel like she never really thought that she was beautiful. Uh, Even more than that, like she knew she wasn't beautiful with that that hateful knowledge that we we turn on ourselves when we're being mean to us. That little voice that we've all got and we just believe it. She believed that voice and... And she grew up thinking she wasn't beautiful. As a result, she kind of let herself go. And I don't mean like the, the had four kids in six and a half years, got a little extra weight on her, kind of let herself go. I mean, had all of her teeth needed to be removed before she was out of her 30s, let herself go. She just didn't care, you know? And, and it's even more than that. When she, when she lost the bottom half of her dentures, she just never bothered to replace them, kind of let herself go. And this is the wonderful thing about my mother. Somehow when you meet her, when you talk to her, you don't even notice that she has no teeth in her mouth. Like, the look works for her. She's working it. Like, I call it, I like to think of it as hillbilly nouveau. I am three generations away from people who fished and hunted in the winter and lived off the land and the government didn't know that they existed in the San Juan Mountains of, of southern Colorado. Like that's, I'm three generations away from that. And I feel somewhere like it, at her roots, my mother adores that fact about herself and she just takes it and runs with it. She knows she's going to be toothless and, and shoeless on a front porch someday and I love it. She is fucking precious. Not only that, but like she is, she is the most kind, generous, wonderful human being. She's thoughtful. She's caring. She talks to strangers. She is just a lot of fun to be around, just this bubbly, wonderful spirit. And even though she's never been a person who was beautiful, she taught me everything I know about being a beautiful person. Now back to how I crushed this wonderful woman's spirit. (laughs) So I was in third grade, and my mother uh, made it a point to be very involved in our school lives. She volunteered at my school um, like three days a week in the afternoon. She'd show up. And and the funny thing about this wonderful, caring uh, personality, it comes with it this kind of like boisterous in-your-face friendliness this over-the-top jokingness like like she's told my uh, secrets to strangers on the street before she just says too much she's out there too much she's a little too friendly she embarrassed the fuck out of me I was so embarrassed by my mother and and so one day she mentioned something about stopping by the school the next day and I kind of made a face or something about it probably a noise I don't know I'm in third grade what do you eight at that point you're just like Duh. um and, uh, and my mother saw it, and she was like, Timmy, I get the feeling that you're embarrassed of me. And I said, well, yeah. Uh, I mean, if, if, to quote Haley, is this a safe space? Um, uh, like, it, yes, mother, I am a little bit embarrassed of you. And she just gets this look on her face. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to explain. I'm going to have to explain to her why I find her embarrassing. She gets this terrible look on her face. And she says, it's because of my scars, isn't it? And in my eight-year-old brain, 
did the calculations real quick, said yes. In my defense, I thought that was like the better reaction than uh, being like, no, 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 I don't give a shit about the way you look. It's really more just your personality, your entire way of being, just who you are in this world and how you interact with everyone else. That's what's embarrassing. And so instead of saying that and correcting her, I just took the information that she provided and agreed with it. Uh-huh. And I crushed her more deeply than I think I've ever crushed anyone in my life. And I've said some unthoughtful things. I've said some real shitty person things to people before. I don't think I've ever crushed anybody the way that I crushed my mother that day. And I don't know, <laughs> I've never told her that that wasn't the case, that it, I never corrected that mistake. I don't know how, and I don't know what's wrong with me as a person, that it's easier for me to sit here and tell people that I don't know the whole embarrassing story as opposed to just telling my mother that I'm sorry and I didn't mean it. But I think I just don't want to ever see that look on her face again. Who knows, maybe she's forgotten it by now? And, and bringing it up would like make her remember it? Um, so hopefully someday I'll, I'll tell my mother I'm sorry, but uh, I'm sorry, Mom. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Timmy, lastly. Storytelling. Man, I like it. I really do. I like hearing true stories from people. I think it's special. So we'll keep listening to more because they're special. Uh, your next uh, comedian is um, one of the fine gentlemen in the club of the same name and is hosting Film on the Rocks on August 31st. Everyone, please welcome Sam Talent to the stage! Hey, hey, everybody. So, all of you young and not as young, but still hip and relevant people. Hey, who here, who here knows what a hot rail is? Anybody? Anybody familiar with this drug slang, this, this hot jazz term? Anyone familiar with hot rails? It's where you put some water uh, on a piece of tin foil, and then you put cocaine or speed, bath salts these days, I guess, I don't know. Uh, and you put it in the water, and then you heat it up underneath the tin foil, and you jam that sweet $1 bill up your nose, and you shoot that shit right on the back of your brain like God just jizzed all over the inside of your skull. Uh, I, I used to be a big doper, guys, all right? I used to be a big dope daddy. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, big dope dingus in the hoose. And um, I'm on a lot of dope right now. I'm on a lot of weed right now. But that's, you know, come on. And I like, I like weed a bunch. I eat a bunch of edibles. Like, I, I eat, like, so much. I eat, smoke, like, an ounce of weed a week. And I eat upwards of around, like, 500 milligrams every other day. I do weed like I'm trying to impress a bunch of eighth-grade boys. That's how, that's how I consume cannabis. And, uh, guys, I wrote, I wrote a story for this, and I never write anything. It's usually a bunch of, hey, this guy's wearing shorts, and boy, is it hot in here type stuff. So, uh, 
And I like being stoned a lot. And I don't know. It's probably there's probably some like weird underlying thing about why I like to get stoned, like uh, the fact that no matter how many people I make laugh or entertain or have positive interactions with, it's still not going to leave any mark on this uh, null void that we call reality. I don't know something. And uh, <laughs> you know, I smoke weed. I drink booze. I eat pills that housewives give me. I do that still, because. If you're on the road, guess what? You're alone and you don't know anyone and that 42-year-old lady's got the best shit in Missouri. So uh, I drink mushroom tea. That's a fun one. And I'm a fun guy. So why not? Huh? Uh, I only do cocaine at weddings. That's a rule. I only, I only do blow at weddings or when offered cocaine by professional wrestlers. I had to break the rule recently due to the professional wrestler caveat. Uh, one time, my dog was prescribed Ambien for a flight, and I ate all of it. So yeah, I'm a real, I'm a real monster. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I've done all of, I've done all the drugs besides PCP, because I've seen enough episodes of Cops to know how that turns out. It's just me, shirtless, covered in someone's blood, with fucking throwing a fire hydrant through a Jimmy John's window. It's just, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's how it is. Uh, I did heroin for three days straight one time. I ne no needles, because needles are pointy. And that's a good rule to have. Stay away from pointy drugs. Uh, I did heroin with this girl for three days in San Francisco, and I proposed to her, because it was just, it was just ju junky love. And she said yes. And guess how, how did we celebrate? More heroin. <laughs> and... Uh, so we did all this heroin, and I passed out, and then it, she stole my shoes while I was asleep. And she left me there in the park. Here's the thing. Uh, my shoes, as any Sam Town enthusiast can tell you, smell awful all the time. So I found them three blocks from where I woke up. <laughs> because her prize was too smelly to enjoy. I never found her again, so... Yep. Uh, <laughs> I smoked crack with this guy one time, uh, and he took my phone at knife point. I'll, I'll never forget. It was, it was a cricket flip phone. And, and as he held the knife up to me, and I gave him the phone, he says, Can you play snake on this, motherfucker? That's what he said to me. <laughs> you could play snake on it. So it was a come up for that guy. Um, the most fucked up I've ever been on drugs is I was on LSD. Uh, and I did a bunch of whippets. And I spent a half hour accusing a chair of treason. I don't... I don't remember doing it, but I did it a lot. And I had a lot of valid arguments, apparently. Uh, my favorite drug ever is Xanax crushed up into powder. Uh, that's my favorite drug ever. And the only other person that knows how much I loved crushed up Xanax, that motherfucker's dead. He's a dead man. Uh, his name was Dale, for the purposes of this story. And he died of a popped heart on a mixture of codeine, Valium, and oxycodone in 2007. Uh, it wasn't suicide, it was a hell of a party. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Dale, he had no family to claim his stuff, so uh, when he died, uh, we went to clean out his apartment, me and another buddy, and this is, this is the kind of guy Dale was. Dale was survived by a filthy mattress, three interracial gangbang laser discs, 
All the same laser disc, not different interracial gangbangs. This was like his favorite one, and he wanted to make sure he had backup copies. <laughs> and five garbage bags filled with fireworks. Illegal fireworks, nonetheless. Dale was a real cool dude. Um, Dale had a prescription for three Xanax bars a day, which is technically a shitload, is what that is. Uh, one Xanax bar helps a normal person sidestep the trappings of consciousness uh, successfully for a day. Uh, three of them is enough to choke a donkey. Huh? Remember that one? Let's bring that one back. Choke a donkey? You guys grow up on a rural farm? No one? Oof. Boy, is there donkey on my face. All right. Uh, <laughs> we would crush up these Xanax and cellophane wrappers uh, in the owner's manual of my 1987 Lincoln Town car and just get numb to Frank Zappa. And if you've never snorted Xanax, uh, narc, um, <laughs> snorting Xanax is akin to snorkeling in a swimming pool. It's adventure without any adventure, and it feels beautiful. Um, we hung out with girls back then that make me sad to think about now. We were, we were wasted. I spent the three months between high school graduation and college sleepwalking, pretty much. Uh, I blew out my knee wrestling, and I had to not go play football at CU. So instead, I got a theater scholarship to Metro. Slam dunk! <laughs> so I was coming to terms with that. Uh, I was a 300-pound small-town prince with a misplaced rage, drugs, and the charm of a much more handsome man. I almost died a lot that summer. Uh, I fell asleep at the wheel after like five days of no sleep. I jumped. No, I, I fell. I don't remember. I don't remember a lot of this. I fell off a house through the roof of a ragtop Jeep. Yeah, yeah, that's, that, the deductible on that one's a weird number, let me tell you. Uh, yeah, I lied to my parents and used to tell my grandpa I was too busy to go fishing. Uh, I sold drugs, and then as I became more depraved, I sold fake drugs. I don't know if you guys are hip to this. We used to get baby aspirin, and we used to dye them blue with raspberry Kool-Aid powder and then sell them at Red Rocks as Valium. Oh, boy, we made so much money. Uh, you know the candy Dem Bones? Remember Dem Bones? Remember the bone-themed candy that the kids were a chatter for, for some reason? Uh, well, if you remember the femur Dem Bone, if you nibble off the ball joint on that thing, it looks like a Xanax bar. So we would go from Hobby Lobby to Hobby Lobby just stealing backpacks filled of Dem Bones. And then just sit fucking silently in our car, just nibble them down to size, just a sucking and a nibbling. And we, we made thousands of dollars. Thousands of dollars. Oh, man. We robbed, we looted, we plundered. We were the worst, and we were really good at it. Uh, the whole time, we were just blank as fuck. With just, I used to blow my nose after doing all these pills, and it would come out like a piece of chalk. It would just be like... A thick, like, apple core. Like, when you make a weed pipe out of a ballpoint pen and an apple, that would come out of my sinus on the regster. I don't know if anyone's ever said regster, but don't try it. It doesn't feel good. Uh, so, and I'm, I'm really ashamed. I'm ashamed of everything that happened from, like, March of 05 until August of, like, 06. I was really bad. But sometimes, guys, as you all know, you take a dump. And that dump is so awesome. And so gnarly that you have to take a photo of it and send it to your friend. And this is 
this upcoming little anecdote. This is a picture of a really cool dump. Not literally, just metaphorically. Uh, so Dale was from Parker, I was from Elizabeth, Colorado, right? And that meant we knew different dumb kids that we could rob very effectively. And Dale called me one day, uh, and he said, hey, meet me at this apartment complex off Hilltop Road in Parker, Colorado. If any of you guys are familiar with Douglas County, that's the ghetto of Douglas County. And by ghetto of Douglas County, I mean everyone that lives there works at Best Buy or Red Robin. Yeah, real, real unsavory characters. Uh, <laughs> and so he told me, he's like, look, man, uh, there's, there's, a, there's a real big fish show next week. And I really want to go. So we're going to, I got like a QP of weed, quarter pound, again, if you're a square. I got a quarter pound of weed, and this kid's going to buy it off of us. But we're going to sell it to him, and then we're going to rob the weed back from him. And I was like, I am huge and stupid. Let's put my natural stuff to good use. Uh, so we like get there. We're there like two hours early. It's like 5 o'clock, and the kid's supposed to be there at like 7 o'clock. And uh, <laughs> I, guess I don't need this. this is, we're, we're there. <laughs> and <laughs> we're, we're there, man. And we're casing the joint. And we're looking for fucking like, like uh, cameras and stuff, you know. And we're like planning out how we're going to do it. Like our, biggest, our big plan uh, for a minute was Patrick. Or, well, whoops. Anyway, Dale. <laughs> uh, Old, old dirty Dale, he, he was gonna, he was gonna climb this tree, <laughs> and then I was gonna do the deal, and then he was gonna drop down in what he called a flying squirrel attack. <laughs> he was just gonna drop for like a, like a three-toed sloth on this guy, <laughs> and then we were gonna take his shit, and like that was our plan. That was that was our go-to. Like we got this, ace in the hole. We'll be home by 9:30. We can catch scrubs. Uh, <laughs> Right, so, so this is a great plan. But then Dale tries to climb the tree. And the tree's not as like, strong and sturdy as we thought it was, so it's wobbling. So if he's in there, you can totally tell. <laughs> it's, just, it's not windy. What's going on? Oh, boy, family of 30-pound wasps in the tree? What's going on up there? Hopefully no one flying squirrel attacks me. So Patrick, uh, Dale, we, we get the, the guy shows up, right? This dude shows up, and, and Dale's like, okay, this is what we're going to do. You go hide by his car, all right? And I'll go sell him the drugs. And then when he comes back to his car, you beat him up and take it. <laughs> and I was like, glad we got here early. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Master stroke, maestro. Put down the baton. You earned it. <laughs> and so... <laughs> so he goes... And he, uh, he does, does the deal, right? Oh, man. He was a great dude. He does the deal. And uh, I'm hiding behind a tree by this kid's car. And all, we, all this thought, you know, all this time to consider how we're going to pull off the grand heist of 05, uh, the moment comes, and I see the kid walking down the path. And he's walking down the path. And I hop out from behind the tree. <laughs> and I say, give me the drugs! <laughs> And he goes, yeah! And he throws him in the air. <laughs> and I catch him. And then I face shove him to the ground and go to the car. I'll, I guess the moral of the story is it's really easy to steal drugs. It's really, 
It's really easy to steal drugs from kids, everybody. Uh, hug the ones you love. I've been Sam Talent. Thank you. Keep it going for Sam Talent. Oh, my goodness. Whoa. Seriously, I f do feel really square after that one. Like, so much so. All right, our next comedian uh, is an L.A. native and um, is an actor, a stand-up comedian, now living and performing in Denver. Uh, she'll be on the High Plains uh, Comedy Festival on Friday at 8 at Mutiny Information Cafe. We hope that you will go to all sorts of events at High Plains, including that one. Welcome to the stage, Janae Burris. Thank you. Um... <clears throat> uh, in 1991, April 1991, Korean liquor store owner Soonja falsely accused 15-year-old Westchester High School student Latasha Harlins of shoplifting a bottle of orange juice. The two got into an argument. Latasha punched the liquor store owner and tried to leave. She was fatally shot in the back. When police arrived, she was still clutching $2 in her hand. Latasha went to my high school before I went there. She grew up in my neighborhood. That was a liquor store that I had been to, a liquor store that my mother lived across the street from. Uh, my family moved to Los Angeles, uh, I think back in the 30s. My grandfather owned uh, a mechanic, he was a mechanic, and he owned a shop. Uh, my cousin owned a beauty salon. My dad owned a home in South Central. Both my grandmothers owned homes in South Central. My whole family was from South Central. South Central, Los Angeles, we live. When people say, which part of LA are you from? I say LA, LA. They don't know what I mean by that. I say LA, LA, because my address was 612 West 104th Place, Los Angeles, California, 90044. I'm from LA, LA. So when I, if I try to go deeper, if they keep pressing me, I'm from South Central. I'm east of Inglewood. I'm north of Gardena. I'm west of Watts, and I'm south of downtown. I'm in South Central. In March 1991, a month before Latasha was murdered, Rodney King was beaten by four officers in Simi Valley. So in 1992, when those officers were acquitted of all charges, we had already kind of had enough. Um, South Central was 80% black for a long time, not because really that's where we wanted to be, but because in the city, black people were restricted from owning property in certain areas. So a lot of those folks who came to Los Angeles, all, a lot of black people who came to Los Angeles uh, after the depression, sort of got moved into South Central and Watts. Um, so uh, in 1992, when the riots happened, when the civil unrest happened, we had really been beaten down a little bit, you know? Police officers had been brutalizing people. I had seen my cousins, you know, profiled, you know, my friends beaten up by cops. The neighborhood was really rough. I'm from that part of South Central. You, when you watch Gangland, 
and they talk about Hoover Crips, that's us. When they talk about Denver, Lane, Bloods, that's us. So I'm from that part of South Central, and uh, when I was in middle school, the riots happened. And we couldn't go to school for a week. We didn't really get what was all that was going on in the neighborhood at the time, but we couldn't go to school for a week. And um, 53 people were killed, 10 of those by police and military. A billion dollars in business was supposedly lost. A lot of those Korean business owners, they left the neighborhood and they never rebuilt again. But I mean, we didn't really want them there at the time. It was in the 90s, Mexican immigrants were moving in and taking a lot of the jobs that black people had formerly held at, a lower, at lower wages. So I grew up in this city and I started to feel embarrassed of my city. For a long time, I did not rep South Central because I had a city that I felt was broken and beaten down and crushed and embarrassing. I didn't want to be from there. So when I escaped South Central um, to go to college, just probably 40 minutes away, it seemed like I might as well have been in Europe by then. It was a beautiful thing to be outside of South Central. And when I was in college, though, I learned from one of my college professors, Susan Salt, that I need to, I need to be proud of where I'm from, you know, that I, can, that I can rep South Central all the time, you know because there's some goodness that's happened there. You guys like, you like Ice Cube? Ice Cube's from South Central. Y'all like Ice T? Ice T's from South Central. Schoolboy Q's from South Central. John Singleton is from South Central. Uh, Flojo is from South Central. Barry White is from South Central. Y'all ever made love before? <laughs> He's from South Central. So now I rap, I rap it really hard, but I'm here in Denver. Denver, Denver now has my heart. I call this place Crush City. You know, my friend said that. He said, this is Crush City. And I was like, fuck yeah, it's Crush City. I like this place very much. But it's, I've never repped LA harder than when I got to Denver, because y'all be hating on LA a little bit. <laughs> y'all be hating. I don't know why y'all hating on us. We're similar. We're like cousins. We're very closely related. We're like cousins. Except one of the cousins has like big boobs. And the other cousin has an ocean, all right? Okay, okay, sit down. You're not the pretty cousin, sit down. Okay, I rep LA. I gotta rep LA now. As much as I felt like my city was, was beaten down, I have to rep it because now I'm finding, I'm, I'm having friends who are making it out of the hood. It's a big deal to make it out of the hood. So if you're gonna make it out of the hood, the way that we give back is by rapping hard for LA. I have a friend who's on a TV show right now and he's rapping hard for South Central. So I gotta go hard for South Central, you know? Our city is, it, I feel like our city was, it's beaten up and broken down uh, and crushed a little bit. So it's time to, I wanna go to other cities and crush for LA, you know? I wanna go to this crush city and crush for LA. I've been out here for a year now and I'm having a fantastic time. This is my third time doing the narrators. And, um, but m I just visited LA recently and it was interesting to drive through and see those places that are still not built up again. Um, God, the riots were in 92, that's over 20 years now. And there's still some places that have not been rebuilt and there's still no money out there. But. You can walk downtown at night now. That's weird. <laughs> That's weird. 
So now that gentrification that's happening downtown, we're hopeful that it works its way to South Central, that it starts to roll down into my hood. Um, I just wanted to tell you about my city that in, I, after all this time of um, all those years of not wanting to represent South Central, I feel it in my heart now. I know that it makes me the person that I am. My grandmother's still there. My cousin's still there. Those businesses that my family owned are still there. And um, I'm going to get out of here, but I want to play you a little bit to rap for South Central. I just want to play it. I just want to leave you with a song, if I, if you don't mind. Yeah, I just want everybody to listen to that for a minute. Listen to Ice Cube crush on this mic. Get no static from the cowards Cause just yesterday them fools tried to blast me Saw the police and they rolled right past me No Yes, so happy to have her in Denver um, I just had a note slip to me It's an update about what's been happening tonight Timmy called her mom, and she told her the story. And her mom goes, eh, whatever. <laughs> That's awesome. I don't think we've ever had a, like, a live update on like a show. Like, it's happening right now. The story happened. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> We have uh, two more storytellers uh, tonight. Uh, up next, um, she is hosting a show for High Plains County Festival with, uh, I'm going to try to pronounce all the names right here, Karen Kilgariff and Drennan Davis on Friday at 7 p.m. at Three Kings. So that's another show that you have to go to. Welcome to the stage, Kristen Rand. <laughs> Thank you. Hello. Hello. You are definitely, you made the choice that wins. Just laying on pillows. I, uh, that looks a lot like my bed. My yoga mat is my bed. Hi. I don't know if this is going to make any sense to you or if it's going to be in any kind of logical order. This is just kind of the truth that I wanted to just give tonight about Crush, okay? Hi. I'm Kristen. I just moved to Los Angeles, California uh, in March. So that would be, whoo, whoever wants to do math, five months. Not my strong suit. Um, and you couldn't have picked someone that was like more just full of confidence, full in belief uh, of what I know I can do. Someone who... And I knew, I was like, if anybody in this whole damn town can move to this city, it's going to be me. Uh, and I believed it with every fiber of my being. It never even crossed my mind to be scared. And I should have been. I, I wish, and you know, that's not true. I'm glad I wasn't scared because I just wouldn't have moved. If I would have known the crushing 
of me that would happen, I think I would have been so fucking terrified that I just would have stayed here because I love Denver with every fiber of my being. I love this. This place is my home and it will be forever. I can't imagine another place that I love more than this city. And it also built me up to be so fucking full of this belief in myself that it sent me off to this dirty, filthy, crowded city that Janae loves so much. <laughs> My first night in L.A., I drove, I drove from Denver to Albuquerque, did a one night in Albuquerque, was so excited, I woke up at 6 a.m., drove from Albuquerque to L.A., Parked my car, went to a show. I didn't even like bring a bag. I just had like a, you know, a brand new, whatever, a car full of shit. I brought my blender, not a lot of other stuff, not a bed. Uh, <laughs> I went to a show and I was standing outside of the show the way comics do. And then I just, my, they, my fingers just started curling up. Do you guys know this? It's a panic attack. <laughs> I'm like, oh, here it comes. So fucking terrified that I had just abandoned this life to start this new one. I call like my one kind of friend that I have out there that had just moved there kind of around the same time thinking he could relate. And I was like, I think I'm having a panic attack. I can't believe I just did this. And he's like, let's meet for pie. <laughs> let's just meet for pie. <laughs> I'm like, where is pie? I just got here. And he's like, I just got here too. Let's just Google pie. <laughs> and, and then we found a place we wanted to go that we thought was in the middle. It wasn't. It was like five seconds from him. It was like three miles from me, which in L.A. is forever. And it was like one in the morning. And I'm just like, this is going to be fine. I'm going to talk it out over some pie. Everything's going to be cool. And I pull up onto the highway and standstill traffic at 1 a.m. A standstill with the GPS that I had just bought from Walmart that's like, this is going to save all my data on my phone. I'm just going to use this. It'll just drive you into oncoming traffic. It doesn't give a shit. So I, <laughs> I sat there in traffic, and I kind of had this moment where I looked around, and I was like, I'm going to laugh one day at how terrified I am. I still am so scared, but it's okay. I do feel crushed, and I don't think it's by the city, and I don't think it's by comedy. I think it's by the rebirth that it requires. I think that I have to be here, there, <laughs> to do this growth that might not have anything to do with my career. Um, and I'm figuring this out slowly because I th kept thinking like tomorrow it'll get better tomorrow it'll get better and it's usually like Monday's pretty chill Tuesday I'm losing my fucking mind <laughs> Wednesday's pretty chill Thursday I'm losing my fucking mind and it's just like this pattern where at least I know there's like a chill day in there before you lose your mind and I, it's like wow can perception be so fickle that I was in a city where I felt like anything is possible that like this was my purpose that this was what I'm supposed to do and then cue one month later like I am the failure in my family that sleeps on the floor and has nothing to give to the world that that four weeks can do that to my head and I believe it uh I believe it 
I believed it so strongly that I that I I want to run. Like I want to come back to Denver. Like Denver is my womb. I feel like I ripped myself out of a womb, um, and and that I kept wanting to run back. And then pause that story. <laughs> that first night at that show, before I started having a panic attack, I shook hands with a boy. He was the very first person that I met in L.A. Coincidentally, the love of my life. I don't know how it happened. <laughs> uh, and he's teaching me things that I've never even understood about how to actually love someone. And um, he's so present for me while I'm a fucking basket case. Like, he doesn't even get tired of holding me while I cry, which is insane. Sometimes he cries, too, just because he feels that much. <laughs> <laughs> what did I do? And he loves me in ways that, like, I was telling my girlfriend, I was like, he says, sometimes he's like, he says, you're my whole world. And I'm like, shut up. And she's like, don't tell him how to love you. Like, when he says that, just say thank you. That's the way to accept that kind of love. You go, thanks, what a gift. You don't tell him, I prefer that you love me, but in a more fickle way. You don't. I'm learning this. And recently with him, and it only has ever happened with one other boy in my life who was also a very safe boy that I felt completely vulnerable with. I started having these like pangs of like sexual trauma come up. And with this first boy that happened in, it was 2012, I was dating this guy who was fantastic, but I kept having these like pangs of like, oh, it feels like I'm being raped. But he was never forceful or anything like that. It was just this like memory recall. And then I just broke up with him because I thought it's just because I'm not attracted to you. And I just like, bye. Which clearly, like the universe was like, here's this thing, are you ready for this? No? Okay, maybe later I'll bring it back up in a little bit. And, and then it came up again and I was telling the same friend this uh, on her porch and she goes, it's coming up because it has to come up. You can either say I'm gonna deal with it or you can push it back down and break up with him and run away again. And uh, it, it I was like, ooh, like it's, it's coming up because I'm safe. It's not coming up because I'm getting raped. It's coming up because I need to have these memories. And I, one night I was so full of like, I don't, I eat cookies like you can't believe. I've been eating so many cookies. Um, that's storyline number three. Uh, <laughs> so many cookies have been happening. And donuts. I feel like my objective in the past five months is just to look at every top ten donut list in L.A. and just go try them all, even though I already know my favorite donut. I'm just trying them for no reason. Anyway, I'm eating, pushing it down. Oh, my God! <laughs> Giving myself, like, substance so I can feel strong or whatever. And one night I decided that I was going <laughs> to start a blog. <laughs> Didn't happen. You're welcome. But I, because I was like, I don't know how to fucking start a blog. So I just got out like Microsoft Word and I was like, this maybe is going to be a blog. Who gives a shit? Whatever. This is a blog for anyone who's being ripped open and crushed by life and needs to see it as a rebirth. And I just started typing and it was this very like, I wasn't trying to have it make sense for the public. I was just kind of typing and it took me to these places that for decades I haven't been. I was raped and I never told anybody except for you guys. And I've had so many times that I've just given my body and not wanted to give it, but I didn't want to fight, so I thought that that's just what happened. 
And I see this now, it's like all coming up because now maybe Denver did give me all of this strength and it did give me all of this, these coping skills that are healthy and these friendships that are wonderful that I can say these things out loud and it's not gonna unrape me, but it's going to make uh, the healing happen so that I don't run away from this guy who's like, the greatest love I've ever and will ever have. You can't hope for it, but he thinks I'm Beyonce for real. Like he's, <laughs> he's so dumb. <laughs> it's like, <sighs> and so like when people ask me how LA is, it's like, it's fucking breaking me to pieces, but it's great because I can rebuild and I can become this version of myself that's so strong and that has dealt with these things that I have pushed away. And I'm sure that the stuff that came up in that free ride, there's, I know there's more garbage underneath that and I know there's more garbage underneath that. And I realize that's what I do is when things get hard, I run from them. And I say that it's because I like the path of least resistance, <laughs> but you can't always run away from the things that feel hard. You have to approach them, you have to hold them, you have to deal with them and you'll become stronger. So thank you guys so much for giving me this platform to speak to you guys about something that will heal me and I love you guys and I hope if you ever feel crushed that you know that it's it's crushing you so that you can expand and become bigger and better and thank you guys so much yes Kristen Rand um, uh, we have one more storyteller for you tonight. Uh, I think that you're going to know who he is, so I didn't pressure him into telling me anything to say. And so we both just, like, like panicked in the lobby. And then he said, just tell him that I like your theater. I was like, okay, fuck yeah, I'll just tell him that. He likes, he likes this theater that I work in. <laughs> so please welcome to the stage, Josh Blue. <laughs> Uh, well, everyone, thank you so much. And, uh, wow, I know something that's been crushed my spirits after watching this show. <laughs> Where do you go from here, guys? We've seen it all. There's all kinds of being crushed. And I thought my story was all sad. After hearing this shit, this is a walk in the park, guys. <laughs> Just gonna wrap it up and head on home. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, I'll take you back to when I was seven years old. Uh, my sister's hamsters had babies, and they gave me the little runt hamster. I named her Snapdragon. She was the cutest little runt hamster ever. Now, uh, I don't have the best balance. And uh, she got on the floor and I stumped the shit out of her. Like just, just, it made the most horrible noise you've ever heard. 
and then it squeaked in a circle with a blood trail behind it. And then I started crying. And then my mom came upstairs, and like a mom was just walking on that scene, like, oh, fuck, you know? Like, <laughs> she didn't say that, but that's what she was thinking, you know? This poor cripple kid stepped on his hamster. Anyway, that's when I learned what it was like to be crushed. I crushed something and I got crushed. Good night. to roll that way sometimes. Oh my gosh, everyone, thank you so much for coming to what was, in my opinion, a perfect night of storytelling. Uh, have a super great night, and we'll see y'all later. The Narrators is produced by Robert Rutherford, Aaron Rollman, Mary Robertson, and me, Ron Doyle. I produce and record the podcast with engineering assistance by Josh Johnson. And our founder and executive producer is Andrew Orvidal. The Narrators podcast is brought to you by these amazing sponsors. The great guys at Illegal Pete's and Greater Than Records, who in addition to providing rad burritos all over town, provide great local music and comedy. The next time you need a photographer, remember From the Hip Photo. You can learn more about their honest and unforgettable service at fromthehipphoto.com. Check out the appropriately named Sexy Pizza on their website, sexypizzaonline.com. And finally, by Breckenridge Brewery, making balanced, approachable, and interesting handcrafted beers in Colorado for over 25 years. Check them out at breckbrew.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or on your favorite mobile podcatcher. For more information and to find past episodes, visit thenarrators.org. Thanks for listening.